William Shakespeare is known for writing many different styles of plays. He did tragedy, he did comedy, he did tragedy mixed with comedy. But he never did science fiction. From the mind of Rob Lloyd and the pen of Keith Gow comes a play that aims to fix that. Shakespeare Aliens. It's James Cameron's Aliens, live on stage in the style of William Shakespeare. After a hit run of shows during the start of the year, we're back this October for the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Join us for an hour of action, tension and puppetry as our cast of characters try to escape the horrors of LV426. Shakespeare Aliens at the Melbourne Fringe Festival. That's October 11th to October 15th, 9pm at Gasworks Theatre. Head to melbournefringe.com.au for more, or check out the link in the episode description. It's that time again. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Subspace Radio channel. I am Rob. Coming through loud and clear, Rob. It's Kevin here. Yes, here on the Intergalactic Wireless. We are here to talk about another Star Trek episode that has just dropped. It is Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 6, Hear All, Trust Nothing. And, oh, fatuous day, Kalu Kalei, as Lewis Carroll has said. They have dedicated an entire episode to the greatest Star Trek series of all time. Yes, the Cerritos has finally gone to deep space nine. <laughs> I feel a little shame making you introduce this episode because I feel like you are going to do most of the talking as it is. <laughs> and rightly so. You are by far the biggest Deep Space Nine fan here, though I acknowledge its greatness and supremacy. Yes. This was an episode that caught me by surprise, even though I'm very good at watching trailers and then forgetting what I've seen. <laughs> because as soon as uh, Deep Space Nine appeared on the screen, I was like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. Oh, yeah. The continue circling line was one that was in a trailer early in the lead up to this season. So I should have known it was coming. It was a great cold opener. And it was one of the most lower Dexian cold openers i have ever seen it was pretty much just going here's some star trek stuff here's us commenting on it in a meta cool way bang welcome to lower decks yeah exactly and yeah just to have the classic music kick in as they got out of hyperspace into deep space night it looked beautiful da, 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 da. that glorious music from the first couple of seasons before yeah. they changed it up and added a bit more oomph to it and yeah, classic gag of sort of like, yeah, just circle around as if we're in all of the pylons. And then <laughs> as they go past, the music comes and yes, the wormhole opens. And uh, then the so poor good. ensign at the front going, uh, <laughs> just go around again. And then <laughs> great. great. I dare say that station has never looked better. Deep Space Nine is one of the series of Star Trek that has yet to be remastered for HD. And so every time I watch it, I admit to myself, the effects looked better in my memory. Yeah, it is the best that D Space Nine has looked and sadly will ever look. Yeah, from what we've heard, all the original footage and stuff like that is lost to time. So going back to the originals to update that and all this type of stuff, it's a mess and it'll never get done because... Name um, your price. I will pay it. <laughs> 
Oh, me too. That is a price that I'll be willing to pay. There's some glorious battle scenes in the later seasons that would just kill to be updated. But yes, our episode focuses on the Cerritos being dragged in for a trade negotiation with a mercantile species. I love it when they use terminology like that from the Gamma Quadrant coming in. The crew who are meant to be doing it were looking after an emergency of a brown hole. And the captain says, that's not even a thing. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's uh, given to the Cerritos to deal with the negotiations. And yes, what better place to have trade negotiations and diplomatic chat at uh, D Space Nine. And look, the, right off the bat, it is great to come back to a place that is so iconic within Star Trek. And they're doing okay. Kira is looking after D Space Nine, working hard. Quark's doing well. The years have been good. You know, Kira went through a lot of crap within her seven years on D Space Nine, even beforehand as well. And it ended in a heartbreaking way. So to come back a couple of years later, and you know, she's working hard, doing well, got the respect. And it's a great place to come in when we come back to a place that, especially for me, holds such a special place in my heart. I feel like they made a list of things that they needed to do with this episode. I feel like they wanted to reassure us that everyone is fine. We knew Quark was doing great for himself as we saw his bars peppered across the episodes of Star Trek Picard. That's uh, right. And beyond. But seeing that he is still right back here on Tarak Nor where it all started, still running his bar, still serving drinks to Morn and trading barbs with Kira Norris, everything is as it should be. And everything is reassuring. Yeah to see it that way and it goes to show that the sacrifice that cisco made and the whole essence of what the show ended on there is a positive spin to it which is great you know star trek is okay with being positive you hear me picard you hear me so yes <laughs> uh, unlike our usual lower decks instead of being an a plot b plot we've got a, B, C, and D. We've got four plots going on here. There is an entire episode of Deep Space Nine buried inside this episode of Lower Decks. Yes. And it all fits in half an hour somehow. Beautifully well. So we have all the different levels of this diplomatic meeting. So you have the captain and the higher decks working on the negotiations. You've then got the lower decks, Tendi and Rutherford working on transporting the supplies from one ship to the other. You've got Boimler just working on his Darbo skills, and you've got some crucial developments for Mariner with her finally meeting the friends of her girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a big step, big step in their relationship. We've got Shanks and Kira reconnecting. It's a great moment. I haven't even mentioned the part when we finally see D Space Nine, the first side of it, and of course the Bajoran on the ship just goes, Cardassian fascist architecture. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is amazing. Uh, like when they met and they knew each other, I went, Of course they knew each other. They're old war buddies. It never even occurred to me like these obvious, satisfying connections. Uh, so good. And again, I'm finding out the hidden gem of this series because some of my favorite lines of the whole show are, co are coming from the captain. Oh, um, yeah. While Shax and Kira are trading, I saved you, I saved you. The captain says in a beautiful tone, well, that I'm sure that was all very rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> Such an incredibly diplomatic way of going, well, this is awkward. Let's just move on. Yeah, the dry wit. Tendi is in particularly fine form this episode. 
She is getting to see the extra layer to Tendi, getting to see the extra layer to Rutherford last week. It seems like this is the season of fleshing out the characters and making them more than skin deep. Yes, especially because Rutherford was so very much one note. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, he was two notes. Shock and awe. Yes. <laughs> the, so much so that he's there going, oh, but you're in food court. Oh, this. Oh, I'm going to turn it down a bit. <laughs> We had seen Tendi among her people previously when she and Mariner visited an Orion colony to try and repair Dr. Ta'ana's scratching post last season. That's right. And there was a bit of a, there was a something, there was a dynamic there. Yes. It was obvious she was uncomfortable among her people. Yes. Also obvious that her people looked at her in a way that she didn't see herself anymore, but it was not addressed and in this episode, I feel like we're closing that loop now. We're understanding a bit more of what the deal was there. Definitely, definitely. And her interacting with another Orion uh, Mesk, who is, he was very much a creation of a bygone era of comedy. So like late 90s, early noughties type stuff. He very much had a sense of a character from like the American Office or those frat squad type films like yeah. Old School and stuff like that. We've seen some Orions in the flesh in Star Trek Discovery recently in the far future. Right. And they cast actors in that. I don't know if they are wearing a prosthetic or if they are just the square-jawed <laughs> football player sort of stature. But it seems like they have decided that's what the modern interpretation of a male Orion is, is like just intimidatingly large, ridiculously square draw to the yeah. point where you wonder if there's some CG enhancement of the jaw <laughs> going on. And that is represented delightfully in the animation here. And with all this going on, you also have a rather intimate moment of Mariner being taken out of her comfort zone and actually having to be in a situation that she has no control over. Mm. With another one of my favorite moments, when Jennifer appears, okay. and all three of them just go, Hi, Jennifer. <laughs> she appears out of Mariner's bunk, as far yeah. as I can tell. So yes. apparently yes. they have been bunking together in their hallway bunks. She appears fully clothed, which is unusual for that area of the ship, apparently. Well, uh, they, there's the one guy who shows you with just the towel wrapped yeah, around that's him. right. <laughs> Barely a towel. It's like a hand flannel. <laughs> so I love the cartoon version of the scandalous morning after of like, she just <laughs> pops out of the bunk and everyone goes, hi, Jennifer. And then they're going, oh, no, 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 no. You go and play with your girlfriend's friends. And then she goes, I'm not bossy. And all three of them, Rutherford, Tendi and Boiler just go. <laughs> 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 this is what endears me to Mariner even more. She's yes. great. She's kick-ass. She's amazing. She knows everybody. Of course she knows everybody. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I don't like her being untouchable. I yeah. love to see how she deals with this situation and so how she dealt with like it. You like Mariner incredible. when she's having chunks torn out of her by, look, by her well-meaning friends. Diamonds are created when they're put under pressure. That's right, yeah. And she has become a beautiful diamond because <laughs> we get to see her under pressure. And yeah, <laughs> when in doubt and they're losing oxygen, they just phase her all of Jennifer's friends, which is hilarious. The salon, it's a salon, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is a salon. They're making candles. I love the moment when the girls are t wanting to talk about Boindler and she goes, yeah, I'm going to need all of this and just pause <laughs> the entire glass of, I'm assuming it's Romulan ale or yeah. something. What kind just, of salon do you make candles in? I mean, I know it's not supposed to make sense. 
but <laughs> what type of salon do you have a dance, an interpretive dance called the Kobayashi Maroon? Random small thing that stood out to me. I think this is the first time anyone in Star Trek history has ever pointed a phaser at themselves on stun and fired. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember seeing that in anything before. Yeah. So the main thrust of the story is negotiating with the Karama, who are very on edge, and if they don't get things exactly their way, they like to cause a bit of a fuss. This whole thing feels to me just like Quark's greatest hits. And look, we can't go further without mentioning it is so great to have Nana Vista back as Kira, and especially the legend, the icon, the myth, the man himself, Armin Shimmerman to do Quark. Some people are just born into roles. It was just so great, even in animated form. And he was in his prime Quark outfit, the patchwork jacket that he wears. Yeah, so amazing. And yeah, just the level of performance. I love Starfleet. I love nothing more than Quark pretending to be humble for (laughs) selfish reasons. (laughs) When he's behind the counter and Kira's like, tell us about your amazing bar franchise. And he's like, no, no, it's it's fine. Uh, I'd rather not. I'd rather not talk about myself. I keep my trade secrets. (laughs) So good. So great. So great. We've got the special replicator. And of course, Ransom just goes, can you just use a replicator? No, no, no. Not the special ones that we have. (laughs) And of course. Algorithms. Algorithms that he stole, of course. I love the reveal that it's just a cardboard cut out, pasted on the front of their technology. Yeah, which you kind of get in the impression of going, that's just something cardboard. Of course it is. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the low-tech uh, deception. He is kidnapped. He is going to be taken into the Gamma Quadrant. Tendi, who is trapped on the ship with Rutherford and saves the day, they turn to the Orion mix and go, all right, use all your pirating skills. And he just crumbles under pressure. He goes, I don't know. I've never pirated before. And what's my favorite line? I've never even been to Orion. I'm from Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) And Tendi's great. Are you freaking serious? (laughs) I learned everything I know about pirating from bad hollow novels. The one with the boobs on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) That's just like classic early noughties type of flip around comedy that you saw in a lot of the TV shows that were huge at that time in the movies of the time. And then Tendi is, oh, my Lord, my heart and my lower regions skipped a beat. That was impressive stuff. (laughs) Like removing a tooth to use. (laughs) You can remove teeth. (laughs) Yeah. You took the ship. You took the ship. Uh, Um, And... Another, like, tick-the-box moment of our return to DS9 is seeing the wormhole up close in all its glory. And there's no better way to look at the wormhole than stuck stationary in the opening while awaiting rescue by the station. And I'm sure the prophets and Cisco were there with their opera glasses and their popcorn watching going, this is a great show. We haven't had a show this good. They were just applauding, slow clap. (laughs) My favorite shots of Deep Space Nine on the outside is when it's actually a thriving spaceport. Bustling traffic. Yeah, where there's ships coming and going. It's very haunting and beautiful to see this lone station out in the middle of nothing but for me it should always be a thriving base of people coming and going 
And you get the um, impression that only the only reason it often wasn't was just the cost of the practical effects. Of, of course, that many models or mixing the CG ships with the models of the station, like that, would always have been expensive at the time. So exactly, they, they they were limited in their ability to portray it that way. And of course, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite moments is when Boindler's winning Dubbo over and over again, and the Ferengi comes up and goes, surprising for a man with a coin purse. And he goes, actually, it's a clutch. <laughs> yes. Knocking down barriers left and right. Knocking down, the, knocking down those walls. So yeah, for unfair reasons, this is just one of my favorite episodes of- They can stop now. They have done your favorite episode <laughs> of Lower Decks. <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll yeah. do. Yeah. How do you find it? For it was magnificent. Not- I said afterwards, my immediate review was, I now want Deep Space Nine, the animated series. <laughs> yes. They've yes, proven yes, yes. they can do it well. Let's just Definitely. bring them all back and tell some stories from between the stories. Exactly. So that led us to discussing what would we talk about what has inspired the cold opening of this episode spoke to my heart continues circling i could circle <laughs> that station all day gazing at it beautifully i am a sucker for a great flyby in star mm. trek i appreciate the ships as much as i appreciate the characters and the stories there's not enough said about the design of ships that are very unique to Star Trek and also how they've evolved, what Federation tech looks like, mm. what a Klingon ship compared to Cardassian ships yeah. as well. So to have those long, slow, in awe of the pylons shots to see what Cardassian technology looks like and architecture, whether it is fascist or not, is a fascinating sight to see. Yeah. So as the Cerritos slowly orbits the station, I thought we could look back on other times that we have been given a long, good look at a beautiful starship as it slow panned across the screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Once again, I'd like to start at the beginning and work our way towards the present day. It's a very good place to start, Kevin. Are you going all the way back to the original? No, I will not. And I think that is just a limitation of the technology and the budgets of the time. The original series, certainly the ship was iconic, but it was never beautiful. It never Mm. took your breath away. Yeah. And so I will skip the original series. You must have something from the movies, though. Are we thinking of the famous shot that everyone talks about and everyone makes fun of from a certain motion picture? Yes, Yes, I am. And that's not just a shot. That is 20 minutes of shots, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just recently picked up on 4K, the director's cut. And so I've watched that. And it was great to rewatch it again because even as a kid, I loved Star Trek, the motion picture, because it didn't feel completely the, you know, Star Trek 2 when Nicholas Meyer just went... It's Navy in space. It's Hornblower in space. We're doing it, baby. We're leaning into that. The motion picture was a step back to the original vision of Star Trek, where they were back into the muted colors before the TV network asked them to make it more colorful to sell TV sets. Exactly. But that concept of Vija being figured out to be Voyager, and so to have in the 23rd century them talking about 
something from the 20th century, me as a young sci-fi nerd went, oh, that's so exciting. It's real. It's the real thing. That's a real thing. That stuff I loved. And of course, there's the iconic 20-minute sequence of, yes. you haven't so seen for, this on the big screen, baby. That's right. So for people who haven't seen the motion picture, it is a slow burn at the start as our characters are slowly pulled out of retirement and reunited on board the Enterprise. And when Kirk, Admiral Kirk makes his way to the Enterprise. He is ostensibly going there to tour the Enterprise being run by Decker, but he comes on board and takes command. Before he does, though, he has Scotty fly him up there in a slow, looping path around the ship that is in space dock. It is a good long sequence that is really designed to show off the Enterprise in her newly reimagined form. And her newly realized big screen adventure as well. It mm. really is that beautiful moment of going, we are not on the small screen. This is a truly cinematic experience. And even me watching it on my big screen here at home, I'm there going, oh, I want to see this director's cut on the big screen. I mm. want to see that 20 minutes. <laughs> William Shatner just going, yep, yep, again, let's go for it again and again and again at every angle. Yeah, there's lots of shots of them just gazing at the ship in pride and thinking, yep, it's a nice ship, isn't it? <laughs> what stands out to me is the scale of the ship. This is the mm. first time ever that the Enterprise looked huge. Yes. And the thing that makes the difference is what became known as the Aztecing which is the visible plating of the hull. Oh, yes. The light plays over it, and it's not a uniform surface. You can see the squares of yes. metal that form the hull, and they each reflect light in a slightly different way. The model makers managed to find some phosphorescent paint of slightly different colors, and they laboriously painted this thing in this pattern that creates a sense of scale. Yes. It is... That that takes my breath away more than anything else about this, that it feels like a thing that hundreds of people could be inhabiting. Oh, and especially with the new director's cut with the enhanced special features, you see the scale of it so much more with the amount of ships flying by or the people nearby. Yeah. And again, like we talked about last week, about this is the end point of a journey that's taken years so like uh -huh. with one gag about data going you know sometimes i envy you that's taken us years to get to that point but for this particular shot this has taken years of those people who watched the original series that was meant to be five seasons only went for three but they stuck at it and they found it in syndication and they rallied and they wanted this to come out and they had only seen this ship, this iconic ship, either as a small little recreation or on this small crappy analog TV, to finally see it on the big screen and go, this is the scale that we want. This is what we can achieve. This it's, is it's, how we imagined it all along. Yeah. It's a beautiful shot and it's a beautiful statement about we are here, we are relevant, they're claiming the cinematic world for themselves. This sequence of the Enterprise being seen in dry dock and then setting out amongst the stars was so good, they reused it in Star Trek II. They cut <laughs> yes. it down to a much more uh, curt moment, but 
just like in Star Trek 1, Star Trek 2 begins by Kirk taking a shuttle trip to the Enterprise and uh, then it heading out on its merry way. And it's the exact same shots. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So we won't revisit it the second time, but I'm not going to take us far because I want to make another stop in Star Trek movie land with Star Trek 3. Oh, oh, the film that dare not speak Lloyd's name. <laughs> this is in the good starting bit of Star Trek 3, so you may want to give it another watch, at least up to this point. <laughs> Battered and bruised from their battle with Khan in Star Trek 2, the start of Star Trek 3 is the Enterprise limping home to space dock. With yes. The repairs completed and it's side patched with metal panels on it. The new cadet on the bridge asking if they're going to get a parade when they get home. (laughs) But the shot that stands out to me here is it goes from close up on the Enterprise and pulls out as the Enterprise flies over the Earth in towards space dock. This giant structure in space. I can only imagine how huge that dock is. They use it a lot in Star Trek 3 and 4, you Mm. see it a lot as well. And I think 6 as well. It's, yeah, epic. This zoom out from this ship that we now appreciate the scale of to see something that dwarfs it, to me was a moment of the world of Star Trek and the Federation taking shape. And you feeling for the first time that the Enterprise is a small part of the Federation and Starfleet. It's a tiny little dot dwarfed against the fleet assembled in Earth orbit. Those moments that make you feel small when you're used to feeling large, that is the sense I get from this shot. As soon as my computer let me choose a desktop background, this shot of the Enterprise (laughs) flying towards space dock was my background for years. Um, I love it. Look at you, you're tempting me to go back and do the thing that I never said I would do. (laughs) And I've got it on 4K just sitting there. It's so good. It's It's calling out. Well, I'm going to jump ahead to the very next film, Kevin. Yep. As we all know, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Is this going to be a flyby of a Klingon bird of prey? It is not. Okay. It is the welcome return, the final sequence where... Kirk has faced trial for his insubordination to go save Spock, and Spock has stood by with his crewmates who have all been put on trial as well, which they are let off because they saved the planet. Yeah. But Kirk is demoted from Admiral and back to the position he always should be, the captain mm-hmm. of a starship. I love <laughs> how the president, that old, bald, white-haired man, just delivers the line, the captain of a starship. The beautiful sequence, all the crew are in the shuttle going through space dock and they're going, oh, it's going to be this ship, it's going to be this ship. And you They know, fly towards the Excelsior and everyone grits their teeth. Because Sulu goes, I'm planning on Excelsior. And Scotty goes, well, you want that bucket of boats. And of course, Kirk in his magnanimous way goes, a ship's a ship. Hey, Captain, they will be done. And they go towards the Excelsior, which we've seen in Star Trek Three, the previous film, and it goes over, and the music crescendos, and there it is, a completely rebuilt Enterprise. The reveal of the Enterprise A. The Enterprise A. Now, this is before, well before, we get to the era of the Chris Pine Star Trek, where they destroy the Enterprise 
pretty much every friggin' movie. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a beautiful moment where the crew and us as an audience look at this beautiful ship. You look at it from below, above, panning around, all that beautiful stuff. Yes, it's there. It's the exact same design, but it's an all-new ship. And the beautiful line from the man himself, William Shatner, going, my friends, we've come home. I never thought of it this way before, but Star Trek Three is the movie where Spock comes back to life. Star yes. Trek Four is the movie where the Enterprise comes back to life. And that's what the real voyage home is. It's not the voyage home back to Earth. It's the voyage home back to the Enterprise because we've been flying around in a Klingon ship for the entire movie. I'm going to move us beyond these big budget cinematic spectacles because, of course, when you've got a movie budget, you can make a ship look amazing. You can't. But do it on a TV budget, I challenge you, Rob Lloyd. You can't. You can't do it. Oh, really? Can't you? Well, Star Trek The Next Generation did it. Ah. And it is my favorite ship, the Enterprise D. Now, D is the one from... The Next Generation, Next Generation TV yeah. series and the one that was destroyed in a generation. That's right. Yes. yes. It looked beautiful in the TV series, but it was always limited by the fact that it was a physical model being shot on motion capture rigs on a TV budget. So yes. they were limited to a set of stock shots that they filmed at the start of the series. They could maybe top it up with a couple more each season, but they had to be pretty generic because they let's were going to be reused a let's lot. Let's from yeah. the side. Let's shoot from below. Let's shoot from the front. The one that stands out to me from Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 6, Episode 16, Birthright Part 1, mm -hmm. is one of the memorable times where there is a bespoke shot of the Enterprise D. It appears only in this episode, as far as I can tell, and was designed specifically for the story of this episode. And it, this is the episode, we talked about it last week, in which Data learns to dream. Ah, uh, yes. He's hit by an electric shock. Dr. Bashir is on board and trying to help figure out why he had a vision while he was unconscious. And he ends up uh, unlocking his dream subroutines. And when he finally, <laughs> at the end of the episode, is able to have a full-length dream, one of the things that he dreams is this amazing swooping shot it starts from the same sun that we see in the opening credits at the start mm -hmm. of every episode, and we see the lens flare as the camera pans away from the sun towards the Enterprise. We see something very similar, but what we pan to is not the Enterprise coming at us, but looking down on the Enterprise from above, wow. which is a rare angle. Yes. You see the whole thing top down, and we swoop down over the saucer, turn around, dipping over it, past the nacelle into a nebula. And it's over in, I'm going to say, less than 10 seconds. But for me, it was the first time the ship felt real. Yeah. In that it was something that you could maneuver around and see from any angle, rather than something that was sitting there posed for of you course. to look at. Yes. Having revisited it before watching this, it is underwhelming now by today's standards. But at the time, it seemed magical. Of course. And it stuck with me. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to push the boundaries of what we're defining. It's not so much a one-track sweeping shot of the ship, but it mm -hmm. is in many ways a showcase. A showcase of what this ship can do, 
it is displayed in many different angles, but this is a statement. The ship is the name of the show and there's a lot riding on it so much so that they brought back the maestro who we haven't talked about yet, but his work on the motion picture with sound and music is incredible. The often overlooked Jerry Goldsmith is one of the greatest film composers of all time. And his iconic work in the motion picture was brought back for the next generation theme. And he was brought back specially to do the music for Voyager. And those opening credits for me are a great showcase of showing off this ship. This ship is called Voyager. This is a different class to the Enterprise. You're going to see how it flies, how it angles. You'd look at every part of it. You get to see all aspects of the ship in any type of terrain within space. And it's beautiful. It glides, it soars, it powers through. It's a great showcase of a rather streamlined design of a ship. It's not technically a shot, but it's definitely a showcase of every aspect of that ship. It is a banner day here on Subspace Radio because for the first time we have matched Rob Lloyd. This was on my list as well, the opening credit sequence for Star Trek Voyager. If we were on an FM radio show, we'd have a horn going, beer, 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 beer. <laughs> Yeah, I was talking about the Enterprise D feeling real for the first time. Yeah. The opening credits to Star Trek Voyager, it won an Emmy for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Graphic Design. The and graphics are incredible. It is the first time that they combined a CG ship with a physical model in Star yep. Trek history. Every shot of this sequence is designed to show us something we have never seen a starship do on screen before. We have Voyager reflected in the rings of a planet with icy rings around it. Yes. And in that shot, the Voyager above the rings is the physical model, but the Voyager reflected is the CG model. Incredible. We have Voyager flying through a clouded nebula and it pushing aside the clouds. It, the ripples it creates yeah. is glorious, Which beautiful. The, the effects artists who worked on it said they were told when they wanted to do that, it was not going to work. And they set out to prove it could work. And <laughs> sure enough, it works. Look, if Jurassic Park has shown us anything, don't tell computer programmers it's impossible or you can't do it. Because yeah. they will go, oh, we'll do it. We'll show you. Yeah. Voyager comes towards us with an eclipse passing in the background. So the sun is coming out from behind yes. a moon and it casts rays of light so that you can see the shadow cast by the ship in space. And yes. That is something we'd never seen before. This beautiful shot of like planet view and you've got the shot of Voyager coming over. The frozen so moon. That is the opening shot. Yeah, I skipped yeah. that one. Yeah. Mm. Uh, obviously uh, referenced in Lower Decks when the Cerritos crashes into the ice uh, at the start of every episode. <laughs> I don't want to miss the final shot of this opening credit sequence where Voyager comes to a, a pause and then its engines tilt up. And it whips out. The yes. articulated engines. It is such a gimmick. But <laughs> my umpteen-year-old self seeing this for the first time in the premiere of Voyager, I am sure I screamed in delight. Look, it uh, is white boy nerd version of Pimp My Ride. It's like going, oh, you want a new ship? Oh, yeah? You know what? Before we go to warp, 
mouth parts move, baby. Yeah, flip up the spoiler. We're yeah. going for a ride. <laughs> What a happy accident. I thought that I was pushing the boundaries by using that, but not only was I not, we agreed on that. That's amazing. Totally with you. Well, look at us. We're, uh, yeah, how, however many episodes into this thing are we? We're finally in sync. Finally in sync. 